you today. I sought the Lord. You know, I always ask God about the things we're to share in every year. We recognize that in 12 months we can't preach 52 different subjects. That's why most of the time we preach through series that maybe deal with one topic because we pray that God can help people maybe to remember 10 or 12 things in the course of a year. And so as I was asking the Lord, what do you have for us for the beginning of the year? I said, I'm really not a a guy that believes that God gives a word to one person for every church in the world as a word of the Lord for the year. I think God is not a franchise God. He's a zip code God. I believe he has a word for Oklahoma City that may not be the word for Chicago. But he does have a word for each one of us that are part of this house. And the Lord said to me, he said, I'm not going to talk to you about the year. I want to talk to you about the decade. And I began to meditate about that. And I said, why are you going to talk to me about the decade? And I'd gotten a prophetic word this past fall that... Uh, a a prophet who I really didn't know just called and I I was preaching at a conference I was a speaker and he got up and said I need to have a word for Bishop and the word is that he doesn't need to just think about the 2020s he needs to think about the 30s 2030s and I'm thinking wow he probably doesn't know how old I am (laughs) but my heart began to leap within me with the reality that God's plans are way further out than we think You know, I grew up in a church world that we were leaving every day. We were flying away. We sang that song every other Sunday. Because we had no intention on staying anywhere or changing anything. We didn't really care what happened in the world because we were out of here. And all of a sudden, you know, I I had a great aunt. Her name was Teeny. And she said, I'm going to live to see the coming of the Lord. And Teeny died in 77. And we didn't saw multiple decades since then. And it's not that the Lord's not coming. That's not my point. My point is this, is that God has plans that reach from generation to generation. And we don't know the impact of seasons that actually set the course for greater history that follows after it. When I began to realize that the 1920s was one of the most pivotal times in history, in the history of our nation and of our culture and of the world, I began to realize that what happened in the 20s actually set the pace for an entire century. If you study sociological impact and the impact of mindsets, things that came out of the 20s, 1920s, actually is what set the pace and the course for the next 80 years in which most of us in this room were born. I never never had realized, but you don't shift culture in a year. You shift cultures in decades. It's amazing how much we identify even our lives in decades. You know, you live your life in days and minutes. But you actually identify your life in decades. How many of you say things like this? Well, I was, I'm from the 60s. You don't, you don't have a 1983 dance. You have an 80s dance. Why? Because history gets identified in decades. 
How many of you know marriages develop over decades? The, the, the husband that my wife has today is not the same husband she had four decades ago. It's not, I'm not the same man. And, and if you don't realize that it takes decades sometimes. People that started businesses 30 years ago, what their business is today, it wasn't three decades ago. What began as small beginnings became something that was powerful because they learned how to survive decades. The 1920s set a social and economic and political shift in our nation that we'd never experienced before. Do you realize in the 20s, jazz bands were created? How many of you know what flappers are? First time in, in the culture of America, women started cutting their hair. How many of you know all the holiness people went crazy? I got to move this just a minute, sorry. I'm trying a new stand. People began to live exuberant, freewheeling lifestyles. They started, it was, it was known as the time of great partying and celebration. Uh, the movement for women to receive the right to vote. The suffrage movement had just finished, and women in the 20s began to have an opportunity to vote in our nation for the first time. There was an emergence of family automobiles. Until the 20s, everybody continued to ride in carriages. But in the 20s, people began to have family automobiles. There began to be radios. So two things happened. People began to be mobile, and they started getting information they couldn't have gotten beforehand. So the information age began. The economy of the U.S. doubled in 10 years. It doubled over what had taken 100 years previously to build. It doubled in 10 years in the 20s. Coming out of World War I, the economy of our nation doubled in 10 years. It was because following World War I, we moved into what was the first time in the history of our country, mass production. Things began to be massly produced. There was an advance in science and technology. Do you know some of the heroes of the, of the 20s, on one end was Al Capone, and on the other end was Albert Einstein. People began to use telephones. It was the first time people began to take flight in airplanes. It was the beginning of washing machines. How many of you, all the ladies and men ought to say amen for washing machines? Thank God for washing machines. And for refrigerators. All that started in the 20s. And it set the course for what would happen the next century. Here's what sociological leaders say in, in America. They say the 20s began with a party and ended with a crash. Because America didn't know what to do with the speed of advancement that was coming to it. But here's what I want to prophesy. 2020 is going to begin with a roar. And we're going to end with a great awakening. I believe we will experience in our nation another great awakening. And the Holy Spirit kept saying to me as he was speaking to me about the, this, this whole series, he said, I want you to call it the Roaring Twenties. He said, they roared in 1920 because of dancing and jazz bands and celebration, but my church is about to roar in the 2020s. 
They're going to roar in intercession. They're going to roar in prayer. They're going to roar in worship. They're going to roar in declaration because this is going to be a season where the voice that has been silent is going to once again be heard and the prophetic cry of heaven is about to be released in the earth. Have I got anybody in the building today that's ready to roar? What I realized is God said, I'm rearranging things. In other words, there's some things you already have arranged that God's about to reposition. Hallelujah. How many of you know he's about to expose us to things? We're going to see parts of God we've never realized before, never seen before. I'm telling you what, you need to get off of off your limited mindset of what you believe God's like. Because God's about to blow your mind in the 2020s. He's going to move beyond all the limitations of tradition, things that we've built up in our minds that this is just how God is. He's going to show up in ways we've never seen him before. Hallelujah. People are going to get saved you never thought could get saved. It's already begun. Hallelujah. Some people in your house are going to get saved you didn't think would ever get saved. And this was a strange word, but the Holy Spirit said to me to declare it. He said, I'm going to deliver you from the pits of normalcy. Some of you have been living in a pit calling normal. You know, the only people that really live by common sense are those who have no spiritual sense. Oh, I ain't got no help in the building, but I'm going to preach anyway. Somebody said, well, that's just, have you got any common sense? Well, you know what? There's spiritual sense that supersedes common sense. Because my Bible tells me that the natural mind is at enmity. That means it's at war with God. And your natural mind will tell you you got a right to be offended. But your spiritual mind will say, you better forgive them because I have big things in store for you ahead. So don't you walk around being like normal people living in a pit of normalcy. You better let me raise you up to a place you've never been before. It's time to roar in 2020. Hallelujah. Stand with me, would you? I want to read. I have a pretty extensive reading, so they're going to put it on the screens. We're going to read together out of uh, Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to the guard to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Somebody read that with me. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. 
wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guard, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it... And it opened for them. And it. How many of you are tired of pushing on doors that don't never open? And it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him, and Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who's also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening. She shouted, she danced, she waved a hanky, she fell out under the power. And she said, Peter's at the door. People in the house praying said, you're out of your mind. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, They were astonished. Here's what I want to talk about today. When we pray, then what? Then what? Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us today, these next several minutes. Teach us. Empower us. Transform us. Rearrange us to walk in what you have for us in this season. Lord, I give you my voice, my thoughts, my mind, my strength to deliver your word. Use me today. Put me on like a coat and wear me. In Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. Amen. Somebody say, when we pray, pray. then what? High five three people and tell them that again, would you? I'm on a mission. I want to walk through this passage real quickly if I can. The book of Acts is basically, let me me put some context to this text. The book of Acts is basically the continuation of the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are the same story told by three different people from their perspective. You could actually call the book of Acts Second Luke because what he begins in Luke, the gospel of Luke, he continues in the book of Acts. In fact, the first verse in the book of Acts says, I write to you, O Theophilus, of the things that I began to tell you. In other words, I started telling you about the birth of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but I wanted, the story didn't end with his ascension back to heaven. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story is is that when he ascended back to heaven, God sent the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. 
and the church was born. The church has a birthday. It's called Pentecost. The church was born in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And it was born as an empowered people. What Jesus did by the power of the Holy Spirit as an individual, he now released into people who were his followers that they could do the works he did and even greater works. Not greater in, in, in impact, but greater dimensions of it because there would be more people anointed. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you're part of that anointing. Come on, just tell him, would you? You're part of that anointing. In other words, Jesus never intended his church to be impotent. He intended it to be empowered. That means we were to be living our life empowered wherever life took us. So that means I'm just as empowered if I'm a mechanic on Tuesday afternoon changing oil as I am on Sunday morning in church singing worship songs. Or if I'm a secretary, I'm just as empowered in my, in my stall at the office as I am while I'm sitting in a pew. Because that empowering is not by my presence in a building. That empowering is by the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. How many of you are glad you've been empowered to live out your life? Amen? So this empowered church, watch this, the church didn't begin as an organization. The church was not a centralized organization that just had systems. The church began as a living organism. It was organic. It spread from person to person, just like the cold, a cold does or the flu does. The more you came in contact with it, people were contagious with what they had received, and they spread what they had. How many of you know there's some church people I hope they aren't contagious? I'm afraid they will spread what they have. We don't want that. But these people were incredibly made alive because they had come to find new life in Christ. They had never known what it was like to be free from sin. They had felt the power of sin been broken off their life. The fear of death had been taken away from them because many of them had been witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. They had seen him raised from the dead. So they knew that death could no longer hold them. How many of you know the most dangerous person in the world is the one who's no longer afraid to die? When you threaten somebody and they're not afraid to die, they're dangerous people. When Christians recognize the power of death has been broken off my life, death can't hold me. Kill me and I'll be just as alive three seconds from now as I was when I was talking to you. Because death has no power over me. So this group of, watch this, it was a bunch of ragtag uh, believers. They were not sophisticated. In fact, watch this, the church was, when in its origin, in the book of Acts, the church was a living organism. It was a growing group of people. In other words, they were maturing in the process. We keep wanting to be a part of a church that's got it all together. But that church doesn't exist. Because for centuries, the church is continuing to mature. We are becoming more and more like Christ. Can you imagine if you were to back up 2,000 years, what would it have been like? They'd never had church services. They didn't know what it was like to have deacons. They had, had no clue what it was like to understand apostolic leadership. They, all of it was brand new. And they were so small that they could meet in a house. 
They didn't even need a building. Now, thousands got born again on the day of Pentecost, but how many of you know that what happened was they had no place to meet? They didn't have a building to go to like we do. They couldn't show up at the synagogue. And the reason they couldn't show up at the synagogue was because the Jews hated them. This group of people that we today call Christians, they weren't even called Christians then. They weren't called Christians until about 12, uh, 13 chapters into the book of Acts. They were called Christians at Antioch. And when they would be identified as Christians, that was really almost like a slur word. In the beginning days, they were called followers of the way. They were the people of the way. They followed Christ's example. They lived as people who followed the way. So this group of, of small, alive people were hated by all of Judaism because Judaism saw them as a threat to their religious system because they were saying, we don't have to keep offering bulls and goats. The blood of Jesus has been shed. What can my bull do? Oh, I ought to preach that sermon someday. What can your bull do when the blood's been shed? I like that. I need to write that down. Somebody remind me of that. We don't need all that stuff. We don't need to go through a series of doors and veils to get to God. The veil's been rent. We have access. And so all of Judaism was threatened. So they, they, they understand that religion, the religion of, the, of that, era, of that uh, geographical area was primarily Judaism. And the ruling government system of that area was they were controlled by Rome. So the Judaizers hated them because they were a threat to the system. Rome was uncomfortable because of the popularity of Jesus. They had gotten very, very uncomfortable with his popularity because they saw him as a potential rebel leader who could lead an uprising to take over Rome, even though Jesus never attempted. But they were threatened by his popularity. So on the scene, here comes this guy named Herod. Now, Herod is a part of the Roman Empire. Herod wants brownie points in Rome because he doesn't want to stay down here in the Middle East in the desert. He wants to prove how good of a leader he is and how he can keep people under control And so Herod decides to do some things to win him brownie points up in Rome. And maybe he can get brought back to the city of Rome. And there he can be a part of the Roman Senate. Or he can be somebody that's that's really important in Rome. So what he does is he recognizes that the Jews are upset with this little band of Christians. So he takes James the Lesser and, and, and executes him. He finds out that executing one of the disciples literally caused the Jews to be happy, exuberant. So he said, I'm winning favor with these people, so let me get one of their next big leaders. So he goes after Peter. Peter had been the preacher of Pentecost. He'd been the spokesman. He was one of the leading characters. He said, so let me get Peter, and this time I won't execute him like I did James. I executed James privately, but I'm going to bring Peter out into a public trial And I'll kill him publicly, and maybe I'll prove to this group of Christians that Rome has all power and that they better just quiet down. It was a political ploy. It was for brownie points. Do you understand? The church has politics, and the country has politics. And he was identifying with both. He was trying to please the Jews, 
and please the Roman Empire by getting brownie points politically for himself. Isn't it funny that he never threatened anybody until this little group of Christians began to have an empowering? Can I say something to everybody in the building? Your haters never show up until it looks like you're making progress. When it looks like you're about to have a breakthrough, your haters show up everywhere. Nobody cared when your business was failing, but when your business started growing, everybody started posting things about it or making comments. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? At work, nobody cared as long as you didn't get the promotion. But when you got the promotion, now people you thought was your friend showed up and tried to figure out how they could take and undermine what you were doing. Why? Because haters hate progress. I ain't got no help, but I'm going to keep on preaching. So I want you to get this picture. Here's this small band of Christians praying against an empire. They're praying against an empire that had overtaken the world. Don't miss this. They were outnumbered. They were outclassed. And they were outfinanced. Rome had more machinery, more prestige more publicity. They controlled the economy, the media, and everything that went on. But this little group of people realized that when I get down to pray, demons begin to tremble. Strongholds begin to be broken and hindrances begin to be moved. I don't know who I'm talking to in the building today. You may not have any political might, you may not have any financial might. You may not have any publicity might. But when you call on his name, there is something that begins to happen. When you say, Jesus, I come to you in your name. They understood the power of prayer. Peter was in prison and the church was praying. If I could have you look like you're on a computer screen, if I could split your screen, because what happens right here in this passage is at this point, this chapter splits into two screens. Peter's in prison, chained with two chains, between two soldiers, behind a set of doors of 16 soldiers, held by an iron gate, That screen over here. Here's the screen over here. A house full of people. Who are the people? Well, they're just ordinary people. It's Bob and Sally, and it's uh, Shanika, and it's Fred, and it's Leroy. It's just people. People who are the people who are the followers of the way. People who really believe that Jesus is alive. Who really believe he can do what he said he can do. And they're just in a house praying, calling on the name of the Lord. Now here's the key. Peter can't see them. So he don't know what's happening. And the people praying can't see Peter. So they don't know what's happening in the prison. I want to help somebody. Most of the time, when you're praying, 
you can't see everything God's doing while you're praying. And the problem is because we can't see what's happening in the cell, we quit praying because we think all that's happening is what we see in the house. But I come to tell somebody, while you're praying in the house, God is working in the cell. Peter was kept and the church was earnestly praying. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you quit praying because you didn't think God was working? See, listen to me closely. Most of the time when you pray and God's not talking to you about what you're praying about, it's because he's already talking to your circumstance. The children of Israel cried as slaves when Pharaoh upped their their burden by telling them to make bricks without straw. The Bible says the children of Israel cried out in distress. God never said anything to the children of Israel. But while they were crying out, he's over here talking to Moses. Hey, I want you to understand why you was born, son. I'm about to make you a deliverer. Just because he's not talking to you doesn't mean he isn't talking about you to something that's about to move on your behalf. Peter was in prison. The church was praying and God was working. There's a part of our culture today that believes prayer is a waste of time. I get so frustrated sometimes on Twitter. We have these mass shootings and people people will go on and say, I'm praying for El Paso. I'm praying for the school. I'm praying for whatever. And I'll watch people just load Twitter up with these statements. I'm tired of people saying I'm sending my prayers. I don't need your prayers. We need change. Well, I want to, and they even, I saw one of them went after Bishop Jakes. Bishop Jakes said, I'm praying for the city. And they went after him and said, don't send your prayers no more. It ain't doing no good. We need a change. And Bishop said, that's what I do. I'm a pastor. Politicians make policy. People of God pray. I ain't got no help. I'm going to try that over here. See, we got a lot of Facebook policymakers. What we ought to be having is a house full of prayers. I thought, why in the world would you go after somebody? I'll tell you what. Listen, I tell you, you know what? I, I, start, I, I, I resisted. I restrained myself. I did it for your behalf because I'm your pastor and I thought, I don't want these people to have to go to work and say, oh, that was my bishop. I'm sorry. But, so I restrained myself. 
But I wanted to put on there and say, you know what? If it was your sister laying in intensive care about to die from a bullet wound or your mama laying up in intensive care about to die from a bullet wound, you wouldn't want no senator working on policy. You'd want them to stop Congress and get on their knees and pray that the God of heaven would bring life back into the body of your mama and of your sister. I'm calling for a church that says we are willing to pray first. Hallelujah. It's time we quit fussing and finding fault and making our judgments and be a people of prayer. People, Peter was shut up in prison and the church was shut up in prayer. Listen, both were captive. You missed that. Both were captive. Peter was captive to Herod and his rules and policy. And the church was captivated by their need for an answer. When was the last time that God incarcerated you in prayer? When was the last time that your prayer life was not just a five-minute morning devotional on your way to work? When was our need so great that you cut off your radio station and you shut down your television and you put up your phone? You said, God, I'll pray all night if I have to for my grandson. I don't want him to be lost. He's held in a prison, but I know you can liberate him. I'm calling. I'm calling. We used to sing when I was a boy, call him up. Tell him what you want. I'm asking somebody in the room today, when was the last time that the need in your life was so great that nothing else had your attention like being in a place of prayer? Peter was in prison. The church was praying. Somebody shout, pray first. That's why Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, I believe this house to be full. God dealt so strongly with me this past year. He said, you have a church that you've taught intercessors to pray. But people believe because they're not an intercessor, then they don't have to be prayer warriors. He said, I'm not calling 50 people to be intercessors for the gate. I'm calling the gate to be a church of prayer. When we come together corporately and lift our voice and say, God, our, our sons, our daughters, our family, our city, our nation is in prison. But we call on the name of the Lord. God is going to move in ways like we've never seen.
We're going to pray first. Now watch this. Church is praying. Peter's in prison. He's in prison. Chains on both hands. Chains on his feet. Going to a public trial the next morning. I know people going to a doctor's appointment, they can't even sleep. The deepest expression of trust and faith is when God can bring you to rest. When you are so convinced he's got it. He's got it. I heard a guy say when I was growing up he said, Lord, I'll take the day shift, you take the night shift. And I found out that don't work. I don't want to carry it in the daytime. (laughs) I'll tell you something about Tony. I don't even mind taking a nap at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Go ahead, God. You got it. I got faith in you. I'm trusting you. I'm not lazy and I'm not inactive. But I am at a place of rest. I believe that he that hath begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of the Lord. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, and I don't know with who. I just know if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll bring it to pass. Somebody ought to shout, I'm going to sleep on it. I'm talking, I'm going to prophesy. Some of you that's been walking the floor in the night, God's going to start giving you sleep. He's going to give you rest for your soul. He's going to give you rest in your mind. Anxiety is going to leave your life. Frustration is going to leave your life. You're going to quit wringing your hands. Somebody is praying for you. While he slept, He wasn't asking God for anything. Just sleeping. And the Bible says an angel appeared in the prison. I ain't got time to chase that trail. But if I did, here's what I'd tell you that proves. There is no prison hell can build that's strong enough that Jesus can't break into it. (laughs) Put 16 Roman soldiers, three gates, two doors, and Jesus can show up in the middle of your prison cell. Hell can't build something strong enough Jesus can't get to you. Say, well, I got... 
I got a report of cancer. That's okay. He can break into cancer. Uh, I got addiction. He can break into addictions. It doesn't matter how many chains. They can chain your feet, your hands, everything. Put chains around your neck. Jesus can break into your prison cell. While Peter's sitting in the prison cell asleep, he's asleep in between two soldiers. The Bible says an angel appears. Darkness of the night becomes like noonday. I love this part. And the angel slaps him. That's what it says. It says the angel slaps, hits him. Wake up. I mean, he wasn't sleeping lightly. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? If you're in a deep sleep or you're sleeping lightly, somebody walks in and cuts a bedroom light on, you do what? You wake up. I mean, the whole room lit up with light. And Peter's still sleeping. And the angel slaps him. Here's what he said to him. I come to tell somebody today. Wake up. Get up. And get dressed. Oh, I wish I had two hours. Wake up. Get up. I got to get you up before you get too comfortable being down. You're going to get too comfortable in this prison cell if I don't get you up. So wake up. Oh, I'm talking to somebody in the room today. Some of you have been in a pit so long, you done went to the store and bought a lazy boy, and you've now turned your pit into an outdoor barbecue place. God said, I'm not going to let you live in that down place. Wake up, get up, and get dressed. You're not going to leave this season dressed like a prisoner. You're not going to leave this season with the residue of what you've been through. Get up and get dressed. Woo! Somebody tell him I got new clothes. I got garments of praise. I got robes of righteousness. I'm getting dressed. There's nothing worse than people coming out of prison still dressed like they're incarcerated. If you're free, look like it. Act like it. doing all right wake up get up get dressed and wrap your cloak around you and follow me Don't you know, don't you, don't you know Peter's going, I just left them two soldiers back there. My chains just fell off. 
This got to be a dream. How many of you having a vision? He gets to the first door. Roman soldiers. And the angels are saying, come on. Pass through that. Got to the next one. Pass through that. The most powerful nation in the world. The most feared army in the world. One little fisherman. Not even Billy Graham. Just one fisherman who believed that Jesus really was alive. He's been passed by 16 Roman soldiers. Now they get to the iron gate of the city, which is controlled by Roman soldiers. And Peter's like, you got a key? Uh, you know, I'm a prisoner. I, I, I don't have no keys. And all Peter did was, it's like going to Crest or going to Homeland. That's what 2020 is going to be like for you. If, if, you, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, if we'll pray, we're going to quit having to go, oh, I want this door, I want this door to open. I'm, I declare this door is going to open for me. Oh, my, this door is going to open. Oh, we keep shaking iron. No, 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 no. There's some people in this room that you've been in a pit long enough, and God is not. He brought you through some stuff. So he could bring you to a door that only he can open. Because he opens doors no man can close. And he closes doors no man can open. And he got to the iron gate. And just like an automatic door, the Bible said, and the gate. So is there anybody in the room today ready for a gate to swing open for you? you to take three minutes and three seconds and just shout like you believe a gate. Almost done. I'm almost done. Just sit down. I'm almost done. Watch this. Listen. He got to the gate, got out in the street, and he realized this ain't a dream. This ain't a vision. God has really done this. And watch this. Don't miss this. When he gets his breakthrough, he doesn't go to the beach. Mm, see, I, I knew. You weren't, you weren't ready for me to read the rest of the scriptures. You just wanted to get through the open door. He got through the open door and realized this is God's work. God's working on my behalf. And his first thought was, 
I'm going to the prayer meeting. I'm going to be with the other believers. He didn't know they were praying. He just had a desire to be with them. What amazes me in our culture is people will get in trouble, never miss a church service, never miss an offering to give in, show up at prayer time until they get the answer they've been praying for. Marriage was on the rocks, about to get a divorce. God puts their family back together. Now we're happy and blessed. Now, they, now we become every other weekenders. Peter said, I just got out of prison. This really ain't about me. This is the work of God. I want to go be with the other believers. And he showed up at Mary's house. And he gets to the place where the believers are praying. Now, how many of you know, watch this, that split screen is about to come together. See, God was working on Peter's behalf, but he's also having to teach the church something about prayer. You hadn't heard me. Because see, religion wants to treat prayer as just a spiritual discipline without any real expectation of answers ever coming. We pray to be religious. We don't really pray to receive anything. So he was showing Peter something. There's no prison I can't get you out of. But he was showing the praying people, you better pray with expectation. Because Peter showed up and knocked on the door. There is a door. Prayer won't open. Prayer opened the prison door. Prayer opened the door of the city. But it didn't open that door. Peter standing at the door. And there's a girl inside named Rhoda. She is so familiar. Okay, I got to hurry through this. She is so familiar with what she's praying for that when she hears his voice, she knows it's him. She never sees him. Are you familiar enough with what you're asking for that when it shows up you can recognize it? Because I'm persuaded some of us have not even got familiar with what we're praying for. And when it knocks on our door, we don't even know it's our answer. And Rhoda heard his voice. She wanted to throw money. She was doing, oh, oh, glory to God. 
Ashley, oh, sing it again. There's the breaking in my favor. No, no, the breaking's already happened, Rhoda. It's already here. The favor's already here. It's already here. But guess what? I can liberate the prisoners, but I'm trying to teach my people how to open the door and receive. If you're going to pray, then why don't you go on and receive? No, you, had, you missed it. If you're going to pray, you might as well go on and receive. If you're going to pray for power, then open the door and receive power. If you're going to pray for favor, then open the door and receive favor. If you're going to pray for blessing, then open the door and receive blessing. If you're going to pray for a city to be one, then open the door and receive a city. Somebody's got to help me. Peter's standing at the door, and the church people think it's crazy that what they've been praying for showed up. Listen, don't tell me you want to live the victorious breaking through life if you're not willing to pray. Because I love you, but I don't believe you. I don't believe you. If you really want God to do something in your life that's beyond where you are, you will call on the name of the Lord. Prayer, listen, prayer does not manipulate God. Prayer positions you for to access what God has already made available to you. You don't twist God's arm and make him give you something he doesn't want to. He said, it is my pleasure to give to you the kingdom. There's nothing I won't give to you if you'll just ask me. If you'll ask me, then you can receive. If you'll seek, you'll find. And if you knock, the door will be open unto you. You got to, I wish somebody just be prophetic enough. Just reach out in front of you and go, Mm, I'm opening the door in 2020. I'm opening the door to supernatural breakthrough. I'm opening the door to wisdom I've never had. I'm opening the door to righteousness I've never walked in. I'm opening the door to live under the blessings of an open heaven. I receive.